Hey everybody, here's my latest Wake Up Interview podcast with an old friend of mine, Joel Stein, who of course was Time Magazine's columnist for 20 years and is also a published author, journalist, and TV personality, which is how we first met each other. I produced his HBO interstitial series, Phoning It In, back in the day. Uh, That was the name of the segment, not my producing approach, where he talked with celebrities from a New York City phone booth, which ironically was, I guess, uh, basically a first-generation precursor to the Zoom interview. And after that, he hosted a short-form series for me at Cinemax, where we went to things like Sundance, Comic-Con, movie sets, and the like, through the unique perspective of Joel Stein. He now has two new digital video series that launched this month that I did not produce, but I am happy to mention. The first being Show Your Shelf, where he chats with some notable authors and discusses the books that shape them, as well as uh, what's on their home bookshelf behind them. That one's for Rain Wilson's Soul Pancake YouTube channel. And then last week, he launched Best Presidency Ever, which kind of revives the uh, talking head commentary format that was everywhere in the early 2000s on like VH1, the E! Network and such, but now focusing on everything that happened in the Trump presidency. You can catch that one over at Funnier Die's YouTube channel. So we get into that, as well as what it's like being a writer without being able to have an agent uh, due to the lack of a Writers Guild agreement, as well as the differences that still exist when writing for digital outlets versus the print magazines that still remain. And right after the chat, I'll give you a quick look at the things to keep an eye on in the week ahead. And just a reminder, if you're new to The Wake Up, hit subscribe, and you'll get the news to know in the entertainment and media business each morning in 7 to 10 minutes. Ish. Plus a look at the new shows and things to watch on the streaming services each night. But now here's Joel Stein. How are you? I am. I am. I don't know. How is anyone? <laughs> what do people say to that now? You're you're a budding video digital video mogul now, man. Uh, so what, what's up with journalism? You well, done? if you'll remember, in early 2020, uh, humans lost the ability to read. So oh, I had a- you're an entrepreneur, Joel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's weird. I come from like a family of entrepreneurs and I can't think of anything I'd be less good at. Yeah, but you're, you've always been a freelance, you know, you've, I mean, you've worked a time, I guess, but I mean, I don't know, you, for years you've been getting, hustling your own gigs. It's kind of the same gene. It is a little bit. It's weird because I do not like that part. That's well, no, I'm not saying you like it, but I'm saying you, you built a life around it. Yeah. I did. I didn't mean to, but I wound up having to do that. Yeah, I, I always wanted a desk job, and I had one until like 2005, and then and I haven't since. I, yeah, I've gotten used to it, I guess. Yeah, exactly. What is your take on journalism at this point? Is just a you you know had a column for Time for years, obviously, and then you kind of involved into just yeah. for 20 years. 20 years would be a yeah. column. Is this at a different moment now? You feeling, or is this kind of this? Is it settled into something where you're like, okay, I get this business now, or what what it is. No, no, I don't get this business or what it is at all, at all. Um, you know, I have so many friends who are still like working in magazines, you know, full time as editors. Uh, and that feels, that feels like being a poet at this point, like editing a poetry journal or something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the, there's certain things that feel like there's still things like the New York Times, but not many at all. I don't, I don't know. It, it's weird because if you're in an industry and I don't even know if I'm in that industry anymore, you don't have any better perspective on it than like anyone else. Like maybe it's some ways worse because you kind of just assume things are going to stay the same or as everyone else notices that they've changed. Right. But I, I don't know what's going on with journalism right now. You're I mean, still getting paid every, to write. So there you go. I still get paid to write by some people, which is surprising. Although less, you know, significantly well, that's, less. That's probably the big change I would imagine. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, think back to your old time rates or something. It's probably. <laughs> There's a couple people that still like Vanity Fair and Business Week still pay me my ridiculous rates, but everyone else pays me less. Well, it's nice to hear. Conde's still paying you the checks. Yeah. Although not much. Like I think since the pandemic, particularly, they they don't have much of a freelance budget. Yeah. yeah. And then when they ask you to write for their and there's still that huge divide between print and digital really they ask you to write for their web uh oh god maybe near 10x probably difference in pay wow still okay. and that yeah. has that has not changed in 20 years it feels like kind of like like network tv and like doing like a different like a streaming service where it's like you still have like these rates on network tv if you do like a broadcast tv show versus if you're doing a, a netflix show where those institutional things that like they're not going away still true right i sold a uh show to cbs a uh, sitcom pilot at the end of last year you know that would i guess would would have been on this fall i don't even know how it works yes it would have been on this fall if it had succeeded at all but yeah i still got paid the same old you know network enormous rates for writing a pilot compared to what i would have from cable or streamers or whoever else makes stuff yeah so yeah it's weird how those old models are still basically the same on some level. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so you have two new digital shows in uh, in October. It didn't it didn't space them out, so that's good. That's nice to get a whole lot of whole lot of Stein out there. Uh, well, it's just different. stuff I started pitching as soon as we were shutting our own houses. Oh, really? Yeah. What, like what spurred like what was your what was your mentality at that point i mean you know journalism still could go on to a certain degree i guess but where were you know where were you kind of at with that you know i had come out with a book in october and there were still even in march some events that i was supposed to go to talk about my book at and then there was a bunch of events where i had agreed to interview some author on stage okay um and they were all canceled in march and my immediate reaction was like at that point i felt like everyone wanted to do live things like zoom was new and people thought this would just be a few weeks and so i said oh, i think it's gonna be more than a few weeks i didn't think much more and i was like let's just do them live on zoom these author events like people need to really want to push their books and they have no way and right. so i talked to some people about doing that i was about to do it and i was pitching it around and no one was that interested and then i got um soul pancake which is rain wilson's company that he has with participant they they bought the idea you know not for much money but i was like great we'll just put you know, should we do it live they're like no we shouldn't do it live we'll record it and then they kind of turned it into a show and it took months and months and months and months to make because it just debuted you know a few weeks ago uh, early october on on you on the one a week so far we made eight okay we're just we're finishing that we're gonna take a break and putting them out for november and put the other four out in december but okay. yeah they were coming out every week this is what I pitched. We would ask authors about their, their favorite, three favorite books that influenced them. And we'd talk about them. And then I wanted, because everyone was Zooming and there was a bookshelf behind them, I wanted to like look at their bookshelf and find out what was on their bookshelf and talk about that. So we just basically took those two ideas. But, you know, they, we talked to people for an hour plus and then we cut it down to 20 minutes and they do some cool, um, you know, simple but cool graphic elements. And we don't shoot it over Zoom. We shoot, we send people these like, Oh my God, you send people these, these kits and we, we've simplified these kits, these camera and mic kits, yeah. but you're, we're asking like 80 year old Lois Lowry in Maine and her husband to set up different angles on shots. And it's, it's a big, authors are the worst people to do this with. 
I was going to say, it's not the, the, the cutting edge of technology is not uh, printed books, I guess. Yeah. No, no. And I, I'm a little bit like this, but like my patience level for setting up technology myself is low. So yeah, asking authors to do this is a favor with their ring light and their, yeah, it's turning out to be a little bit of a pain. But you must love a ring light though. I could see that being a Joel Stein approved uh, accessory. The ring light here, wait, let me turn my ring light on. <laughs> right here. I don't know why I didn't turn it on before. Uh, it's going to be worth it. Right. Oh, look at that. Oh, man. Night and day. My 11-year-old son, Laszlo, set up, unboxed and set up, and I actually pay him to, uh, to do all the cinematography for the show. I don't even yeah. really know how it works, to be honest. He's got, like, um, tripods and lights. and uh, Oh, he's moving. He's, he's adjusting the lights right now. Director of photography. Very nice. It's good. And the other show was something that I actually was pitching before the pandemic which was, I'd always been nervous that people were gonna normalize the Trump administration. And so I thought one way, and the news cycle so fast that things that happened three and a half years ago feel like they happened three decades ago. And I'd done those like, I love the eighties or, you know, ease hundred fabulous, fabulous people to be fabulous with or whatever. The VH1s of the uh, early 2000s, yeah. Was, it, was that what it was? The aughts, I feel like we were in the aughts for the most part, maybe late 90s, I guess, but you wouldn't do, I love the 90s in the 90s, you would have done that in the, you know, so the 80s may have happened in the late 90s. The 80s, then the 70s, then the 90s. I mean, yeah, but even all those, that format feels like it was kind of 2000-ish window there, yeah, yeah. I thought we would just take that format. Hasn't been done in a long time. And the joke being like, this feels like it's as long ago as the 80s, the early Trump presidency. (laughs) And then- and then just like show horrifying things and have people make jokes about it. We did six of them. So leading up to the election, essentially the two weeks up to the election. Yeah. And this is with Funny or Die. It's called uh, Best Presidency Ever is the name of the, the show, right? Yeah, we got good people. We got like Kiki Palmer. We got Triumph, the insult comic dog. And then we got a bunch of people from the original show, which was kind of the original joke. I just wanted to get the original people together. Sure. But we shot it in LA and a lot of people either weren't in LA or couldn't do it. So... We did get Hal Sparks and uh, Rachel Harris and right. Cheryl Hines, uh, Frangela, and me. I think that was it from the original show. Who was who was on the wish list that was not available? Well, we didn't, I didn't even call Michael Ian Black because he's oh right um, yes he's in Connecticut and <laughs> and just we don't want them involved. No, it's all right. <laughs> well, we didn't want. Well, Funny or Die didn't want to. We shot it in two days in their studio on a green screen. So it was like really kind of professionally shot and they wanted it all to look good. And the graphics are amazing. Like that's what really makes the show more than anything. It's that that look of those shows. It's just, you know, like it's, uh, it it wasn't defined. Yeah, (laughs) the lawyers lawyers said I can't even mention I love the 80s, like when I talk to people. Oh, I'm glad we're not talking about it then. That's good. Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) But yeah, we totally copied everything. Yeah. Uh, And yeah, so he was definitely on the wish list. Who else was on the wish? Memories floating. Moraka. yeah. Would he do that now? I'd be, I'd be curious if he would do that now. Well, I don't know if Michael Ian Black would either, because he wrote this whole book about how he wants to be earnest and regrets his snarky. Yeah, it's interesting. how. But yeah, that was the whole like crew. There's a lot of white dudes. Yeah, yeah. A lot of... <laughs> uh, and your other show is called uh, Show Your Shelf. That's the uh, name of the, the series. Yeah, we couldn't decide between Show Your Shelf and oh. shelfies, but we decided to go with show your shelf. It sounds like you preferred shelfies, but I don't, I don't know. No, no, I didn't prefer no. shelfies. Oh, you didn't. No. Okay. All right. But I thought they were both solid. 
but okay. we, we do a segment called shelfies in which we have people hold up a camera to their face and their bookshelf as they show us their books. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's a shelfie. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that had a moment like in June and July when everybody's just like, I don't know, did that inspire? Like when people were on doing all the, you know, the Zoom calls into news shows, everybody's like, oh, that book is on 20 people's shelves kind of thing. Was that part of like your thought process or that just, that was a totally different thing? Totally. Because there was that rate your, rate your room Twitter account. Okay. Whatever it's called. Yeah. And I was, I was, I don't have cable. Uh, thanks to you mostly teaching me that I was doing. <laughs> and when I moved to this house like six I'm, years ago. We ever I'm surprised that stuck, by the way, but yeah. No, it was one of the greatest decisions I ever made. All right. I, I mean, well, purchasing-wise. Right. Once you figured it out, it's good. Well, you know what? They figured it out for me. I moved houses and I was like, I'm going to move my cable. And I called Time Warner and set it up like months before we moved and confirmed with them the next day, the day before we moved. And they didn't show up on their scheduled day. Right. And so I called them. I was like, oh, you guys didn't show up. Like, not surprised. Let's reschedule. They're like, you're not on our books. I'm like, no, here's my code number. We've talked several times. Like, nope, nothing's ever been scheduled. I'm like, I'm done with you guys. Nice. It's a sign. We physically bring my cable box from like, oh yeah, which was worth like 30 cents. They made me go to a physical place and give it back to them. My anger is still fresh. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. Yeah, that's, that's real. That's real. Nice. Uh, and you're talking, so who uh, on the author show, What uh, give us kind of the list of what you're, uh, who we're talking to here. So I just, did, we talked to Rachel Bloom yesterday. She has her first book coming out. We talked to Lois Lowry the week before. The one that came out this week was Samantha Irby, comedy writer. Um, we talked to Layla Lalami, who was uh, much more serious. She almost, okay. she was a Pulitzer Prize finalist. Yeah. We talked to eight people. They were all great. The ones that are up now, are Mikkel Jolette, who's a friend of mine. He's the lead singer for the Airborne Toxic event. And he wrote this amazing memoir that came out. Yeah, Curtis Sittenfeld, yeah. uh, who wrote Prep and her new book, uh, Rodham. She was great, I've known her for a while. Um, yeah, I think our, our guests were really, really good. And they range from like, we, we tried to get really earnest stories of people. So they like, we get them to physically take their books out and show us how they marked them up and ask them like when they bought it and how they heard of it. And you get like oddly emotional. It's like Desert Island Discs. You get weirdly emotional stories about people's like trauma in high school and why they, you know, why Samantha Irby bought Carrie because she felt bullied and didn't go to prom and, and, and related to it because she wanted revenge on everyone. Um, yeah, we got, we got, it's weird because people open their books and you'll just be like looking at Curtis Sittenfeld's bookshelf. You'd be like, why is the Tracy Jordan book there? And she'd be like, oh, we were fans of 30 Rock. She'd be like, oh my God, it's signed. And she didn't realize it. And you'd read like Tracy uh, Jordan. Tracy Morgan, right, yeah. Wait, wait, am I getting his 30 Rock name confused? Well, Tracy Jordan is the 30 Rock. Tracy Morgan is the real guy. Tracy Morgan. I'm sorry, I'm literally, we're on season five. My son and I are watching all the I'm rewatching it at the same time too. Yeah, I'm rewatching it now too. Are you really? Yeah, I seriously am. Yeah, I'm, 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 I have like, like two more left. Like tonight, like tonight I'm going to knock out the, the, the final two episodes. So yeah. It was on Peacock for free. So I, I'm gonna, as I was like, oh, great. I'll watch it. I like yeah. that you're watching something on Peacock. No, I, it's the one thing I watch on Peacock, but <laughs> got to sample all the products, man. You got to keep up with the cutting edge here. He wrote something awesome in Curtis Sittenfeld's book, which was like, Curtis, you the number one or something. It was uh... very Tracy. Yeah. That show holds up, man. Oh, it does. 100%. It's, inter it's really interesting to watch. There's definitely jokes they would 
not, not fly today anymore. But don't don't seem overtly racist or mean. They just are jokes that would rub people the wrong way now. Yeah. Uh, you missed doing a column. I know it's been a long time since you had that, you know, writing that voice, you know, all the time. Or is that something like, yeah, I kind of said what I ever wanted to say. And I don't know that I, you know. No, I miss it for sure. I would say I'm 49 and my general like hunger to do things is lower. So I don't miss it the way I would have missed it. And I got to do it for a long time, which was satisfying. But also, maybe this is just me convincing myself of this, but the version I would get to do now seems like a, a pale shadow of what I got to do, which is that, you know, when I was started that column, the time column in 1998, just there was a lot of readers on it. You oh, know? Yeah. Time Magazine, maybe not, you know, living near me in Manhattan, but basically I knew a lot of people were reading it. I could tell. And, and by the end, and certainly even now, even just a few years later, it felt much less impactful. I guess if you're a New York Times columnist, mate, you probably still experience that. Yeah. But that might be it. I don't know if there's another way I could do that still. Yeah. I mean, now it's like you'd have like a Substack or like you're Andrew Sullivan. Like, I think that's like kind of where the, you know, that's essentially what it is. It's like Andrew Sullivan does a weekly column. It's like, that's what the, you know, everybody, a newsletter is a column in a sense. Should I be doing a Substack? I mean, I don't have that kind of fan base that I had 20 years ago, but is that worth doing? Financially or personally? It's a nice ego check for you. <laughs> Who's going to pay to read me? Um, but you, know, you run the numbers on it. That's all. So it's like, all right. Uh, I think I just ran the numbers in my head and it wasn't good. Don't, don't have that moment, that gut check moment? I think I just had it. I didn't like <laughs> it. I don't know. I was thinking about calling them, the Substack people, just getting their advice on whether they think I should bother. Oh, well, they'll tell you. Yes, obviously they want people to. <laughs> there may not be the honest broker in this. I don't think that's really the way you want to look at that. No. Yeah. Not your best, uh, Maybe I'll just ask you. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is you don't know. And it's like, and as soon as you have one column take off for whatever reason, something takes off, you know, I mean, you've had a few of those. Yeah. Yeah. And I've been surprised. Like I can still sometimes write a column for Vanity Fair or even the Hollywood Reporter and get some attention if they're if they're good or the new york times business section or yeah there's yeah. still places where you, if you can hit the zeitgeist you you can write something yeah Dying i would do it every week if i knew like a yeah. good amount of people were going to read it every week okay but doing it every week as like a hobby doesn't seem great yeah, i'd rather write books as a hobby so you've written two books right so uh you can give your free plugs now if you like in october i wrote a book called in defense of elitism why i'm better than you and you're better than someone who didn't buy this book which is kind of about how expertise is dying and people are venerating the idea of operating just from your gut. And that scares me. Not just, and I'm not just talking about the presidents that like takes up all of our brain space. I'm talking about, you know, people who read a WebMD article and then argue with their doctor. Like it's really all forms of our society I was worried about. And how was the response? What was, I mean, that was back in October. So you were able, able to go out and actually do a proper book PR tour. Oh yeah. Um, although like, as we were talking about television is so much more powerful than that movie. You know, other than some podcasts, that's true. Yeah, some yeah. podcasts and NPR for sure. There's so much more powerful than, than anything else. Uh, and it's only some TV that really helps you that, you know, being on a tour or going around the country didn't really matter. You could still promote it that way or still get out there. Go yeah. to New York, go to a couple TV spots and do everything else from home. I mean, what do you think that, you know, coming out of this, like, well, how is 
journalism going to change that way where a lot of this stuff is, you know, uh, do you feel like it's going to be like the job will be different in terms of reporting and doing stories and interviews? Or what, what is your kind of feeling on that at this point? What do you mean? Like doing it from home? Well, or what? Doing, yeah, not having to travel to a press junket or travel to, you know, X, Y, and Z, like to, to get a story done or to talk to somebody where people before so our, were like, magazines were already cutting back budgets enough. Even when I was at Time Inc. in the building, that towards, maybe not when I was in the building, but towards the end, there were certain magazines that said, we want you to do all your reporting on the phone. It's, it's, it's way worse. Like the, the reporting is really bad. If you don't go meet with people and gain their trust and spend time with them, you really get a crappy version of journalism. So no, I don't think the New York Times, I don't think people you really trust and like to read are going to change. Okay. The people who are like about to die are just going to do it for budgetary reasons. So I had to add three chapters to my book because we're coming out the paperback in April. And they, they didn't say it out loud. They didn't pay me for the extra three chapters, but they were basically like, we're only putting out a paperback if you write some new chapters. <laughs> so... I did a bunch of reporting, like I spent time with, although they wanted to meet in person and I chickened out, but remember America's first doctors, the hydroxychloroquine um, doctor showed up on Capitol Hill and and gave a press conference and and Pence met with some of them. I mean, everyone called them afterwards and they weren't talking to anybody, but the, the, the main doctor had been a fan of my column and I'd actually met her once before working on some other column. I didn't remember meeting her. And so she had them all talking, talk to me and she wanted to meet me in person. So I spent hours and hours on the phone with those doctors as part of the reporting for this new, new book. But it would have been, if I wasn't such a wimp, it would have been way better to go meet with them in person and see their lives and how they changed. I think I did a good job with these new chapters, but the, re- the reporting in the actual, you know, hardcover book where I go to the county in Texas that had the highest percentage of Trump voters in the country and spent a week living there. It, that's just to- a totally different thing. You just get a much deeper, richer understanding of people. Yeah. So what's your take on at this point, you know, I'll just put Hollywood in general, but does the business, whether that be talking to agents or talking to executives, you know, kind of what are your interactions like? What are people, what's the mood about in town, either because of COVID or just due to the media business, everybody the big changes kind of going on at the studios at this point do you feel a sense of anything uh, in your under, anything undertone coming across to you well you know i'm still not officially allowed to talk to my bit my agent wme so right. my agent's richard whites and he runs this thing oh. called quarantunes well you did a story on him i've done two stories on him he's always asking me to write more stories about him uh <laughs> so i talk to my agent all the time but he's not allowed to be my agent right uh, and in fact, when I sold that CBS show last year, I did it with my lawyer and not my agent. That was interesting. And my lawyer made the excellent point, and this is true with me, that his clients, because they didn't have an agent, they were directing, they were, they were a little more careful looking at their contract with their lawyer and learned a lot more, Interesting. which my lawyer really liked, actually. My lawyer hated the fact that he had to talk to executives after meetings and talk to the client be like, did you have a good meeting? Like, <laughs> like as if he cared. The handholding wasn't there, yeah. Did not enjoy that. But he did enjoy the fact that like clients would ask much more detailed, smart questions about their contract, which I did with him. And he got me an amazing deal and I was super impressed. Um, so I think, I think you would know more than me, but the WME 
and I guess CA deals sound like they're going to happen. So I'll get my agent back. They're still going back and forth, and it's like, all right, you know, it's 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 set. ETA, ICM, all the other, you know other agencies, smaller agencies that have made the deal. Like they've, you know, here's what the deal is. If you don't want it, we're not tweaking it for you. I don't think is you know. So whether why they're not accepting it or why they're not you know signing on, or they're just trying to get a little bit of advantage because they're CAA and WME. You know, I don't know, but it's like here's here's the deal. If you don't want it, they feel comfortable in their position that all right in essence the wga won right to simplify it they're ending packaging it's like essentially which is what they you know the big the big thing was we don't want you double dipping or you know kind of you just be our agents don't be our business partners if we want a manager we'll have a manager kind of thing um and uta and icm have you know it's being phased out i think in 2022 or 23 but they've agreed to a end of this practice um, I was on a show as a writer when the WGA was going, they went to every show with the representative and explained this whole thing. Right. I remember listening to them and thinking, you're insane. Yeah. The, there's some things that came out of it. I think people liked about it. You know um, who doesn't like it is ex- executives. Oh, no, not at all. Because every time they have a project, like if they buy a book and they want someone to like adapt it, they can't just call CA and say what writers are available and interested. They have to call, they have to email every writer and have like, hey, how's COVID? Like, are you with? Like, oh, are you around? Are you interested in this book you're around? And like, they have to make a hundred calls for that book instead right. of just two. Yeah. Poor executives is what I'm saying. Well, exactly. I know you said you say that a lot. So that's very true. I do. I do, actually. Yeah. <laughs> So what are you writing, working on now? Are you going to another book? Are you doing scripts or uh, what do you, you know, what's kind of on the horizon for you? You know, I've kept myself really busy doing things that don't pay any money. That's always a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what, if I had an agent, this wouldn't be happening. <laughs> you know, I also feel like I have to learn to be on camera more again. Well, but you forgot our, our, our work together all those years, Joel? Come on, you know. No, I just feel like that you were right. And that like, as print declines, if I want to go do fun reporting things, I have to do it on air. So doing like these two web shows, pitching some other shows where I'd be a host and trying to get that going again, just because I miss reporting. And then trying to, probably I should sell another book <clears throat> for sure. And I should, but I've learned some lessons about book writing that I want to make sure I have the right idea this time. Like such as? They're going to sound stupid because they're obvious, but I didn't really understand them until I wrote two books. There's a difference between knowing something in your head and knowing how to do it, <clears throat> which is frustrating. But yeah, basically I need to tell a story. Okay. As opposed to just your random musings about things. <laughs> Instead of selling, I think I was doing like a of columns that got strung together by a theme. Right. I need to tell just one long story. You should have started a Substack, man. Come on. <laughs> I'll just do the Substack. This sounds like the easiest solution. That's what I'm working on. I'm working on my Substack. <laughs> Got to get a name for it though. So I don't know. Got to think about it. Name of it is working on my Substack. <laughs> by Joel Stein. All right, man. Well, it's uh, best presidency ever. Go to a uh, funny or die YouTube page to watch that. Right. I assume PR was always your, your strong suit. And the, the, the soul pancake YouTube page for show yourself, which uh, still has more episodes coming in November and December than you said, right? Yeah. They're both still coming out. I have a media yeah. empire here. I know you're burgeoning video. Forget this writing crap, man. You gotta, you know, yeah. People should, people should pitch me ideas. <laughs> Take Joel Stein somewhere. There's your show. All right, man. Good seeing you. Good catching up. 
everything I know about being on camera is thanks to you. Get that and get my, how my lawyer put that in my contract. Please do. Yeah. All right, man. Good seeing you. Talk to you soon. Thanks again to Joel for making the time to chat and catch up. Uh, you can catch him on Twitter at the Joel Stein. And now here's what's up for the week ahead in Hollywood. And the first heads up, or perhaps a warning, uh, depending upon your penchant for profit numbers, Comcast has their third quarter earnings on Thursday morning, where hopefully we'll get a new round of Peacock numbers, and definitely some new cord cutting and broadband numbers, Comcast of course being the largest cable company in the US. And then late in the afternoon on Thursday, Big Tech does their reports, including Facebook, Google, Amazon, and Apple all on the same day, just like at some sort of group rate. On the TV, the World Series continues, but uh, could end Tuesday night. If not, Game 7 would be Wednesday. This Is Us also returns on NBC Tuesday night. And TikTok sensation Sarah Cooper delivers her first Netflix comedy special on Tuesday as well. No new movies in theaters once again on Friday, but uh, The Mandalorian returns for Season 2 on Disney+. And then on Saturday, John Mulaney returns to host on SNL, where he's going to have a tough time topping that uh, LaGuardia Airport sketch from the last time he hosted the show last year. And Vox Media's Vulture also has their festival all week. Just go to vulture.com for info on that. And last but not least, that Ariana Grande album should drop, uh, well, whatever Ariana wants this week. All right, that'll do it. I'll see you in the morning. Mm-hmm.